0: I need to know everything, who in the what in the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five on a horse I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk So I'm letting them talk Gotta keep Hello quiet, maneuvering signs welcome. to let them in a- talk a- up their body, one. another I one body, body that's a PTF. I, uh, I did see PTF uh, the other day I saw him uh, at Belmont I was supposed to go to dinner with him, had a little bit of a stomach issue, and uh, we we're going to Peter Luger's. You got to have cash to go to Peter Luger's. I, I had $140 cash on me. Uh, I had my wife bet it on Money's Gold while I was on air. That didn't go well. I had $0 in cash. I didn't want to go to the ATM. My stomach was not well. Not well. So I decided to not go to dinner. It was really a stomach thing. It had nothing to do with the cash. I think she had a lot of cash in her pocket. So we would have been okay. But um, I am your host, Jonathan Kinchen, And what a great weekend of racing at the Belmont Stakes. I mean, uh, unbelievable horses. Cody's Wish, Elite Power, In Italian, um, Clariere, Up to the Mark, Arabian Lion, Archangelo. I mean, it was it was just a star-studded event um it was an outstanding day of racing uh you'll hear in a second our guest actually said there might be four or five champions that ran on Saturday and Friday and I I think that's probably true um but there's one in particular that uh that deserves a lot of attention and that's our girl Caravelle for Qatar Racing obviously a huge fan of Caravelle I've always been a huge fan and uh been a huge supporter of her in her last couple of starts singling her and in, in, in multi-race wagers and and being rewarded but i just thought the six furlongs a couple of good closers and big invasion and, and uh, casa creed were going to maybe be a little bit too much for her and i was wrong she was spectacular again congratulations to our friends at qatar racing uh on another outstanding performance from Caravelle, and i gotta be honest with you if i thought if, if there was something that was gonna get her i thought it was that now uh, hopefully we see her at saratoga she'll she'll be doing five and a half or maybe they'll take her to california and and she'll even go shorter but i would think we'll probably see her uh, at saratoga and and then on to the breeders cup and uh some nice firm ground out at Santa anita I think would be something that she'll appreciate. So congratulations again. And thank you to our friends at Qatar racing. I'm very excited to have this guest. This was a a lot of times these shows aren't planned. It just something I I'm thinking about it through the weekend or I think about it on a Monday and I'm like, who am I going to record? Who am I going to record? I ran into this person, Dave Donk, um, on Saturday after the Belmont and I, it was like, oh, that's who I'm going to, that's who I'm going to have for JK plus one. He was so excited. I talk about it a little bit in the podcast. He was so excited and we'll get into why I think he was so excited about Belmont Stakes day and what it means to him. But I had a fun, fun conversation and I hope you guys enjoy, uh, learning a little bit more about David Dunk.
1: Dave, what's going on? JK, how you doing, buddy?
0: I'm doing all right. You know, it's, it's, it's after every triple crown race, like it takes me like three days to recover. It, it's like the excitement of it, the, the, the long days, um, the, the, the long evenings, it seems that they come along with, uh, with triple crown races. It always takes me a couple days to kind of, uh, recoup.
1: Uh, it's the nights that are getting to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, give- I, I'll give a Woody quote about Saratoga. When it was always twenty-four days, he said it wasn't the twenty-four days; it was the twenty-four nights.
0: <laughs> do you do, the, do you succumb to the nights? Do they do they get you, or do you? Or do you have a pretty good
1: discipline when you're up in Saratoga? Yeah, I listen. We know that most trainers' lives are not nightlife, so <laughs> um, the alarm goes off early every morning. Yeah, very disciplined. Um, I'm not a drinker, so yeah, I don't. You know besides the occasional dinners which i enjoy yeah no there's there's not any nightlife so. <laughs> what time do you have your alarm set at saratoga uh oh every day it's four fifteen. do you snooze no you just pop right up uh yeah you know yeah and usually i'm awake before it goes off so you know um yeah no it's it's not a problem um you know, and if there's a good two-year-old in the barn, you get up a lot easier.
0: <laughs> what what time do you usually go to sleep? I'm like, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I can't, I try to go to bed early sometimes, even if I know I have to get up early on a flight or I, I, I like, I can't, I simply cannot go to bed earlier than like 10 o'clock.
1: Yeah. Listen, your body's programmed. That's why, um, I don't, I, I usually head upstairs by nine o'clock, um, Listen, I, I go to sleep quickly. So the joke is that I try to get my hand on the remote to hit the sleep timer before I fall asleep. So, um, you know, I, I look at it. If I can get seven hours, I'd like to. I'm a little bit older, so I feel like I need a little bit more sleep. Um, but, uh, yeah, seven's a lot for me. If, if I get six and a half, six, I'm very regimented um, you know, and if I'm up late for some reason in an evening, um, I'll pay the price. If I'm short an hour of sleep, it'll, it'll get to me a little bit and it'll take me a day to catch up. But, um, you know, a trainer's life, I'd say, you know, you're, we're very routine. It's like growing up on a farm, um, seven days a week. It's every day, your body just, uh, adjusts adjust to, to that. So if you're used to going to bed really late, I would say it would be extremely difficult to go to sleep earlier. So does
0: your, does your 4.15 carry through at, at Aqueduct and also at, at Belmont, or is that just your 4.15 at Saratoga?
1: No, it's 4.15, you know, maybe in the winter time, It might be a, a little bit later. I um, feel like if I give myself five or ten minutes, probably an edge. But we start training at 5.30, regardless of where we're at. So, um, you know, even – in the wintertime, we have lights on the training track. Um, so, you know, we are able to start at 530 versus six or later. Um, so it's really convenient. Um, so, no, it's uh, it's the same routine every day. Okay, well, on the heels of the Belmont Stakes, we'll obviously
0: talk a lot of of Woody Stevens and, and what he meant to you in your career. But, when you, when you, you know, you mentioned the, the lights on the training track at Aqueduct. It made me think about something else we could talk about which is you were very vocal in, 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 in politically and helping with the, uh, the, the Belmont plan and getting Belmont uh, getting that money for Belmont and getting Belmont uh, kind of updated and in, and, and, you know, rejuvenated as it were. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, are you going to miss Aqueduct or do you, do you, what are your
1: thoughts about what we expect with Belmont? Um, yeah. Listen, I think that, you know, the proposal is, you know, for Naira is to somewhat consolidate their business. Um, they have three racetracks. One is two, it's one too many, um, one to consolidate their business to have two places, Belmont and Saratoga. Um, You know there isn't quite the horse population it gets a little bit smaller so it doesn't justify them to have the three and to have the expense of it so um i will not miss aqueduct Uh, i was in a meeting recently and one of the executives had said nobody wants to go to aqueduct Um, listen it's been a great track over the years Um, personally i'm a little bit older so it's a bit of a grind i think um it'd be nice especially this year, we had to go there for eight months versus six. Um, We're a little bit spoiled in New York to a degree. I'd like to say if you're at Belmont and Saratoga, because you don't have to ship Um, and it's not a far ship, you know, it's nine miles to Aqueduct, but you know, it might take you 30 minutes to make the ride there, you know, just depends on traffic. Um, I don't know. It seems like since COVID, there's more traffic everywhere, but um, you know, it's a, the project is for the next, what's best for the next 40 or 50 years. You know, I'm not going to be here that long. You're going to be here a lot longer than I am. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of proposals in place, exactly what they're going to do. We're not sure yet. I think there'll be a lot of discussion about that amongst all of us this summer. Um, But uh, yeah, I I really look forward to it. Um, I think it'll be Uh, Great for New York racing, great for racing in the United States that it's consolidated, um, you know, Belmont. Like I said, there's some great racing in Belmont. A lot of history. You have the late spring, early summer, you know, leading into the Belmont. Um, You know, the fall championships meet, championship meets are huge, more so in the past than now. Maybe that gets rejuvenated a little bit. But, uh, you know, then you have Saratoga. So, We'll see how we proceed from here, like I said, there but there's a lot to be discussed and what exactly are the plans for the next two to five years.
0: The, the one point that, that I think is interesting, you know, you being basically just, I mean, you're in New York year round, and so to get your input on this idea, and you have grass horses as well, um, you know, not just dirt, you have, you, have a, you, know, you have a handful of both. The idea that they've tossed around, and like you said, nothing's beneficial yet, the idea of possibly putting a synthetic racetrack in at uh, Belmont and, and kind of having the synthetic for the winter. So some of those grass races, my uh, grass horses might stick around. Is, is that something that you are, does that get you excited about what you can do with some of your horses or what? what's your thoughts on the a synthetic racetrack at
1: Belmont? Yeah, I think it's really intriguing um, that it's going to be a third surface, you know, it's not going to, re- at Belmont, anyways, it's not going to replace anything. I, I think it does rejuvenate some of the horses that we have. A stable that I have, um, I'm a, yeah, I'm year-round. You know, I've made that choice years ago, mainly when the kids were in school and not to go to Florida anymore. And then the economics changed and uh, it was much more economically viable for me to be in one place year-round. But I think when there is a synthetic track, Um, I like to ask a lot of questions to people that use it. Um, it's interesting what happened at Turfway this winter. Um, you know, I love to talk to, I just had a conversation with Bill Morey about it. Um, I love to talk to Mark Cassie about it. He's a big proponent of it in Woodbine, but I think leading into the winter time. Yeah, I've got a lot of grass horses, a lot of New York breds, a lot of horses that are not, you know, they're not real top horses, but they're really useful horses um i'll be curious to see how well they would take to a synthetic i I think that it's going to be uh, a big trial basis with horses i think it's a trial basis for owners for trainers uh, for gamblers for someone like yourself so we've done it in the past not very successfully Um, it seems like the products are um, much better than they were before so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit intrigued by it. Um, as you know, we have installed a synthetic track, the Tapita on the Pony track here at Belmont. Um, and that's pretty close uh, proximity to my barn. So I do get to use it a bunch. Um, I like it. Um, there's a lot to learn about it, I think, yet. Yeah like anything else so yeah but I, I'm intrigued by it so uh, you know let's see what happens as we go forward well and like I said at the top
0: you know I mean it's, I saw you in the paddock this weekend and, 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 and uh, I, I saw an enthusiasm I, mean, I, I saw an enthusiasm in you that you know I see it all the time you're, you're always smiling you're always happy whether you're, you're getting your picture taken or you're running fifth you're always happy when I see you at Saratoga it's hard to be sad at Saratoga Um, but I saw an enthusiasm in you this weekend that, that was very clearly tied to what the Belmont stakes means to you and your association with, with Woody Stevens.
1: Um, why is the Belmont stakes so special to you? Well, listen, I'm one of the fortunate ones that, you know, got to work for a legend in his own time. So, um, you know, the Belmont, listen, uh, it's a piece of history. What, what he did, you know, that's could never be matched to win five in a row. Um, you know, I went to work for him in 1985, um, biggest break in my career that I ever got. Uh, you know, Phil had left to take a job and, um, his assistant, Sandy Bruno had hired me. Um, you know, and I was there, the, I was there the last two Belmonts. So, um, you know, in 85 when Creme Fresh beat Stefan's Odyssey, we ran one, two, um, and then an 86 to win it with Danzig connection. You know, I'm a kid that came from Finger Lakes. So, you know, from that jump to, you know, my first two years with Woody and he won Belmont number four and number five is, you know, I get chills every time I think about it, but, um, it was just a piece of history in our sport. You know, it's Joe DiMaggio, you know, with 56 hit games in a row. Um, pick any record you want. But, um, you know, he was such a wonderful person. He was wonderful to me, to to racing. Um, you know, listen, I could, I could answer a lot of questions. I could go on and on. But the Belmont is special because I, I am a New Yorker. I am stable here. And if there was one race that I could ever win, uh, it'd be the Belmont. We were, when I saw you, we were in the paddock after the Belmont and I was there with my daughter and some of the owners and they showed the clip up on the board, you know, we didn't get to see it but shortly after they did the presentation and they showed where the camera was on Jenna, you know, the emotion. And I, (laughs) I turned to my daughter Holly and I said, Heck, if that was me, I'd be crying like a baby because that would be the ultimate thing for me to win the Belmont. I'm really lucky all the, any success that I've had and what I've done, but to win the Belmont Stakes, yeah, that would be the epitome of, for me. Have, have you had a runner in the zone? I'm, I'm trying to remember recent times. Nope, nope, no, definitely not. No, that that would be cool. <laughs> so no, unfortunately, not. I've been really fortunate to be in a lot of races, but no, I've never, um, I've never, I've never run in the classic. No. Now, so I, mean, I do want
0: to to talk a little bit about Woody as a trainer and what made him so great, and, and I think that part of that answer will come in, to the answer of this question. But let's say Belmont here. What was it? What did Woody know that other people didn't know? at the time or still today to be able to win five Belmonts in a row? Was there something special about what he did or was it just kind of a a run of, of being really good at your job
1: and it kind of all came together five years in a row? Yeah. Well, listen, I think it's a combination, obviously, you know, we, we had very good quality. The huge difference in the sport today from then, you know, um, 30, 35 years ago was he never had more than 36 horses at Belmont. There were 18 older horses in barn three, and there were 18 two-year-olds in barn four. That was it. Um, Obviously, they were amazing pedigrees. I remember the first time I went to Aiken, South Carolina to go with the two-year-olds. I went, um, the first winter would have been 87, 88, and, uh, you know, looking at the list that was coming in, most of them were broken and trained at Claiborne and they came in for all different clients. And, you know, there were Nijinsky's, Mr. Prospector's, Conquistador Cielo's. And so, you know, he had well-bred horses. If a client asked him to take four, he'd tell you you could take two. And, you know, obviously there were well-bred horses, but it was a different training regime then. Um, I struggle with the idea when we get to the derby season in the spring that these horses only run twice, you know, to get to the derby to run a mile and a quarter. And, you know, back then they weren't afraid to run them. They weren't afraid to get beat because what was the ultimate goal? And they weren't afraid to change distances, run a mile and a sixteenth, back them up to seven eighths if that's what the next race was, stretch them back out to a mile and eight. So the horses were, you know, they were you know well prepared for the first saturday in may and then to get to the belmont a mile and a half so you know there were some horses that maybe they skipped the preakness maybe they didn't make the derby um, all of them but um you know he just he got on a roll with good horses um you know look at conquistador cielo he won the met mile on monday and ran him back on saturday in the belmont i mean no one would do that today the you know um so um, but he knew what he had uh, what kind of horses he had and um they you know just developed them like he had developed horses his whole career and i'm sure there was a little luck involved they all got good at the same time they stayed healthy um but you know the it was a it was a different sport then they you know I, I, there's a lot that's
0: interesting about that um to me that the, the... The, the capping at 36 horses and, and you're a guy that, that, that floats around that number. You know, I know you can probably creep up a little bit. I would imagine at Saratoga nowadays, but you kind of creep around that number. Is it, was it, was it, uh, I just, I, I think it's, I think it's funny and I don't mean this to be disparaging. I'm, I'm, I'm friendly with Chad Brown. It's just like funny thinking Chad, telling Peter Brandt, like, no, no, only five. You keep, you sit the other five somewhere <laughs> else.
1: <laughs> it's not happening now.
0: Yeah. It's just, a you know, or, or even, you know, Todd telling Rapoli, no, 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 no. I'll take five. You can send the other five somewhere else. It's, it's, it, it doesn't really exist anymore.
1: Yeah. It's different. Um, like Todd, Todd's a really good friend of mine. Um, you know, but the stables are huge and like in any sports and anything in life, sometimes there's, you know, there's always a lot of jealousy involved. Um, Those guys have a lot of horses, a lot of good horses. They got a lot of Mercedes sitting in the driveway. Um, They're supposed to win races. They're supposed to win a lot of races, and they're supposed to win a lot of good races. I'm older, so I can accept it easily. You know, I don't, yeah, I'll carry, summertime with the two-year-olds, I can carry 48 here. Um, That's a big number for me, and that's, that's plenty. But, um, you know, it's a different, you know, I have a different kind of stable. Um, I have a different model. And that's okay. It works for me. I'm happy. I've got great clients. But, yeah, those guys, they're loaded. And uh, kudos to them, you know, how they manage it and the staff and whatnot. But, um, yeah, it's a, wow, it's a different game. So. Now,
0: they, like, you know, it's, 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 it's I often say it on on air I, and i correct myself sometimes because i really do mean i don't mean it the way i say it sometimes but like you've had a couple of horses that have run extremely well first out recently um I'm drawing blanks from the name but what's the good dirt horse that won the mile and eighth race here in new york red right? that won the mile and eighth race in Saratoga this summer
1: uh fingal's cave
0: yes Fingles Cave. right so that was like there's this example of like i i was trying to make a point on the show that like when that horse ran so well, first time out for a trainer. And I said this, I said, for a trainer who has bad first out stats, you can tell the horse has talent. And I took, and I said, well, no, no, okay. Not a bad stat, a low stat, because that's not what you try to do. You don't Correct. try to win first out. It's not like you're trying to win first out and you're not succeeding at it. And that's why I had to try to reverbalize the way that I was saying that. But do you're, you know, I know a lot of guys. I'm sure Todd and, and Chad and, and Bafford and Mott and Christoph, they have owners that get frustrated when they don't run well first out. Do your owners get frustrated or do they understand this is the way we're gonna do things?
1: Well, if they're gonna be with me, they better understand. <laughs> I, I've listened, I'm number one, I'm lucky with clients. I have some clients that I've had when I went on my own in 91 so i have a lot of loyalty yeah but it's it's a different style um i like to say one i'm not a gambler i think if you gamble not that those big guys gamble but if you gamble you approach it differently um i don't have the ammunition to win first time out always ability listen you'll you'll ask me about a horse and i'll tell you if i like him he may not win but he'll be, that horse will be okay. Um, there's a couple running this year that are that way. Um, but, like, if they've trained well, um, you know, and we like them, yeah, they can win first time out. Um, you know, Woody always had a thing with good horses. You know, Eddie Maple was kind of the main rider there for the most part when I was there later in Woody's career. And, you know, he'd tell him you can win. Don't beat them up. You know, he wasn't worried about winning, but good horses did. You know, they overcame it. I mean, there are horses that turned out to be horses that wanted to run a mile and eighth, a mile and a quarter, or they're able to get a mile and a quarter and come from off the pace, and they might win on the lead as a two-year-old. You know, they were just, they were well-prepared. They were, you know, they had a bunch of good two-year-olds, so you could match them up. You'll know you know, you know, kind of what you have. You should know. I have that discussion all the time with clients about cheaper horses. I want to run for maiden 40. They want to run for special weight. You know, they're worried about losing them. At the end of the day, the best thing that could happen to you financially is to lose that horse for 40. Um, but, you know, I'll have to run horses over their head. So, yeah, it's okay. I'm willing to get beat a couple of times. I call it customer service, (laughs) you know, appeasing a client sometimes. So I'm not going to have good stats. I'm very comfortable with that. Probably the one of the things that doesn't help me in my career is because there are stats. You know, if you go back way before you, Jonathan, 35 years ago, there were no stats, you know, in the program or the racing form. You just kind of had to know what was going on. You didn't know if my strike rate was 15% or 23%. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to develop horses, especially if I think it's a nice horse. It's a progression. Um, you know, last week I ran Ormstown in an A other van, and he got beat by a nice colt for Billy Moth that was second in the Holy Bowl, I think, over the winter. Um, and he beat me a half a length or whatever, but my horse ran huge. And for me, it was a great progression. Um, I don't know if that horse beats me two starts from now. He can beat me today. But, I, you know, I'm kind of looking farther down the road. And, you know, I don't have a lot of good horses, so I'm trying to develop a few of them that are, that are good um, and hopefully have some fun later on. When,
0: when, you, when you talk about – so I, this is always one thing that, I, you know, as horse players, handicappers, analysts, we say it. But I don't really know what I'm saying when I say it, which is like, you know, well, tightening the screws or, or, you know, uh, you know, just kind of giving them a race and, and, and then setting them up for another one. I mean, it, in, in that situation, it, even in the conversation of babies, right? Like, you know, like you said, you don't try to win first out. But let's just say you were trying to win first out. What, what do you change? Do you? Work them faster. Do you gallop them longer? Like what, what is the thing that you're not doing for for your own personal reasons and your belief system that you would then change if you were trying to then win first out at Saratoga, like, what, or or beat Billy Mott last time instead of beating him down the road? What are the things that you actually would change to do that?
1: Well, yeah, you would change. Um, you'd have you'd be a lot harder on him in the morning. Um, if you have good horses you need good horses to work them with so let's say I've got one or I've got two I'm a little bit of an issue of trying to get that horse ready I've had that this winter I said to to a uh, assistant to a top trainer I said I can't I know that I can't win get this horse because i can't get them ready the way i need them to i I don't have the other horses to get this horse ready so sometimes those good horses have to breeze by themselves because i don't want them um you know lack of another term beating up on another horse you know I'm, i'm not trying to um break the heart on another horse to get them ready um another horse ready so Um, yeah, if, if to win first time out, yeah, you'd, you'd squeeze them a lot more. You'd squeeze the lemon more. And by doing so, maybe you're not going to get there. Um, you know, maybe you're going to do more harm. So I I just want a really good conditioning under a horse, a good bottom that I know that I'm not going to over fatigue him. Um, I like to be in a, in a race, even if, if there's a horse that I like, I like to be in a good quality race versus being three to five in a spot where I'm running against a bunch of horses that are not as good as I am early on because I'm going to test that horse a little bit. I mean, I get beat the other day because, you know, he he didn't run well first two times going short. Um, maybe not a great trip on both of them a little bit. Uh, I always say sometimes trainer error. Um, I stretched him out. He ran like we thought he would. But it was an easy race. He didn't get squeezed. Um, you know, he had, a, he had a really good work leading into it. And then he came back into the allowance race, had another really good work into it. But, um, you know, I turned to the owner. I love the race at the wire. He got a gut check and he answered the call. He's gonna go forward. He's going to improve. It's like any athlete. Um, they play against a better team or better players. He's going to be better for it. He's going to be better next time. Um, it's no different than a good kid in JV going to high school and and onward up the ladder. So, yeah, it, it a training style would change if I was worried about winning first time out. Listen, a lot of horses run big numbers first time out. And for some people, and I can tell you, I guarantee it down the road, you won't find it with a search warrant.
0: <laughs> no, it, it, it's 100% true. But I think that, like, you know, I, I think that there's, you know, I think like a lot of things, there's, 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 there's two right answers. I mean, this is definitely the right answer for your clients, your style, and, yep. and what makes you tick, right? But then there's also the other right answer for, you know, we'll, we'll pick on Todd a little bit since we're all friendly. That like, it, 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 it is with, with with Todd getting a bunch of horses for a pulley, and Rapoli wants to win the big dirt grade ones. And so yep. Rapoli doesn't have a problem with not being able to find one of those horses with a search warrant as long as Forte finds the winner's circle in the grade one. And that's, you know, I mean, that's fine. Like if that's the the, the, the approach, that, 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 that that's what they want to do. And that it
1: all makes sense. And, and I think that both of those scenarios, you know. Oh, it, Yeah. The beauty of what they're able to do, um, you know, all the big outfits is, listen, so there's a lot of competition in the morning. So, you know, they can match them all up. I mean, that's a lot of fun to be able to have that many good ones and match them up and then see who's doing well. And listen, when they they have those maiden races, when we start out to meet or... Uh, I tell you, the maiden two-year-old race on Travers Day, I mean, you know they're picking out live ones. So, you know, they're able to prepare, you know, they're stable. And when they go there, and listen, they're right now, their thought process is going to point to there. Listen, we love Saratoga. I mean, who doesn't? And clients go there. I always say Saratoga is a place where – You will see your clients and you will not see them again for another 10 months. (laughs) You could talk to them every day, text, email, whatever, but you will physically not see them for 10 months. Um, And it's the same with those guys. You know, there's, listen, they're under some pressure. You know, they've got a lot of good horses. People have spent a lot of money. um, And, you know, they're looking to win there. So, you know, it's our job to pick out the ones that should be. You know, uh, let's say I'm pretty much going to be assured that every Saturday there's a two-year-old race, right? Um, A lot of dirt races between fillies and colts and whatever. And, you know, they're premier races. And those guys are going to lead over good ones. So if I lead one over there, especially in open company, um, boy, I'm going to get tested (laughs) whether I like my horse or not. Um, And that's the beauty of it. And it's fun to watch them Listen, it's fun for me. I enjoy uh, watching them doing it and watching those horses and the pedigrees and, you know, watching the Johnny Velasquez and I read Jose and and everyone, you know, uh, what mounts they're on and how they got on them. So um, sometimes you get a little lucky, but hey, that it is, it's a different style. Um, It works for me, what I do and for my clientele, um, for what my financial and their financial investment is. Versus the other guys.
0: Dave, you, you ride a lot of different riders. Is that, is that a is that a you thing? Then, would you do that as well? Where, I mean, you. I mean, I. And it's hard because I can't. You know, there's some trainers I can figure. I can get hints. You know, <laughs> if Irad shows up, or if Johnny shows up, or if Manny shows up, or Louie shows up, I can get a hint a little bit. I I cannot get hints with you because you ride them all.
1: Well, it's a big issue for me because I don't have a good enough stable to be able to get who I want to all the time. Um, You know, I've been really fortunate to have such good relationships with some of them. You know, Johnny's like a brother to me. Um, I've always been really close to Angel. So, you know, when those guys have come out of the jockey school, you know, Angel will bring them when they're nobody. Angel will bring them over to me, and you know, we'll you know use them in the morning or use them in the afternoon. Um, the greatest was Ered, and he he came to me in Saratoga, and he started breezing horses, and they were holding them back to ride, and I guess they were waiting to hold them because of the date of his bug or something. And that kid was breezing horses, and I'd have a couple of clients there, and I'm like, man, this kid's okay. <laughs> so. And I always kid to all of them. I knew you when you were a bug boy, but um, (laughs) it's hard to get them. You know, I mean, I'll be, and I, and I accept that. It took me a long time to accept that I couldn't get Johnny and he had to ride for Todd. And then finally the light went on. It's like, this is the greatest opportunity. And then the association that they have is second to no one, you know, for 20 plus years. But if I've got a good horse, if I'm live, I'm probably reaching out for a good rider, Jonathan, but it depends who I can get. I mean, do I have a rapport with the agents? Um, and I won't even get into that subject, but it's, it's hard to um, sometimes to get the right rider on the right horse. A call um, it's funny, you know, I ran Ormstown last week and I didn't have Jose. He won on him, but you know, and I'm like, Steve said he had one, I'm like, man, it's like, okay, And Johnny was out of town and Eret had one, and I, I rolled Joel because he had the save agent with, uh, with Johnny, and then the form comes out and I look at the horse that Jose's on. I'm like, okay, well, he's supposed to be on that horse. So after the race, you know, I still was talking to Jose and he was walking back and said, "I just want you to know I'm open in that condition now." so, but, um, yeah, I, and sometimes, you know, I'm going to run a lot of horses that boy, if they're finished fourth, it's a big race for them. And sometimes I just need a rider that I know that's going to give me an effort. Um, I always say that I need a rider that I can trust, but I need a rider to trust me. And, you know, I'm going to run some horses that just don't have a shot. You know, sometimes you're running them a couple of times you know, sometimes not so much for myself, but for the client to show them that we really just don't have much here, you know, or we're not going to have many options. So, um, yeah, I'll use different riders, but you know, and mainly people that I can have a rapport with.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's a uh, an interesting way to think about it. Is like, you know, uh, that you also need them to to trust you as well. That that you know if you tell them you're, you give them a live one, they, they, they believe in you and, 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 uh, and it's funny because I've seen, I, I mean, I've seen you and, and I know they trust you because I've seen you get the big names for horses that on paper and, you know, look like they don't really have a shot. Like they haven't been running well at all. And, the, the, and then you, you see, I got rat in the tenth and it's like, you got IRA on this
1: 20 to one shot. And it, it's, it, it's, and I think it's because of the relationship you have with those guys. Yes, relationship. And sometimes because then I know I'm a little bit live, some of the and some of the guys I can get great feedback from. Um, It's like NASCAR. I'm a NASCAR fan. And the guy, you know, the guys, Chase Elliott, he's on, you know, all the time talking to the pit crew and he's telling him what he's feeling and what he needs and whatnot. And sometimes you need a jock to do the same thing. Sometimes you got to get the right riders that can tell you, that can give you different feedback. Um, um, you know, and when they do, it's going to make my job a little easier. So, yeah.
0: I'd imagine that that, that Johnny's probably your favorite for for, uh, for that feedback.
1: That guy's, that kid, kid. he's not a kid anymore, but maybe he is still. I think we're all still kids. We feel like <laughs> it. The number doesn't say we are, but um, I've never been around someone that could give you so much feedback on a horse. His whole career, even when he was young, Johnny's interesting. Cause you know, he went to the, when you talk to him, you know, he went to the jockey school in Puerto Rico. That school has been there a long time. Um, and he'll tell you, he wasn't very good. Uh, it's interesting, you know, and how he came up and when he came here and um, boy, but he had a knack and that's why He's Johnny Velasquez. That's why he developed himself to one of the, you know, best riders in the last, you know, 40, 30, 40 years. You know, he's in the top, you know, we could debate riders, but say it's in the top five or whatever. But, um, you know, one of the greatest riders, I always say there's no such thing as the best, but he's one of the best. And but his feedback. Maybe I, maybe it's sometimes a relationship we had and I trust him and he trusts me. But. He could give you a lot. And one of the greatest things he could tell you about is a horse's air and his wind and whether a horse is holding his breath and whatnot. A lot of riders can't tell you. Um, and uh, he, he was he was really good about it. He had a great opinion of a horse. You could put him on a horse. I don't use jocks very much in the morning and really not much a lot in the last 10 years or so. But I, if I got, had a horse I really liked and I put him on him, I let him raise them and I let him tell me, you know, basically come back and affirm what my opinion was. And, um, you know, he was, he was really good at that. So yeah, in the morning, and the afternoon, but, uh, Hey, that's what makes him one of the greatest of all time.
0: What, when you, what, what would you do? Like, uh, how do you handle If, if, if he says the, the horse is holding his breath, how do you, how do you,
1: how do you solve that? Uh, there's equipment. You can change the equipment on a horse. Um you know, between the bit you use, um, tongue ties, sometimes maybe, you know, maybe it necessitates uh, some surgery, some kind of throat surgery, but it's an issue if you can correct it. Sometimes it's not always correctable, but um, it's a big factor. If a horse is holding his breath, um, uh, I always say that they need to be in good breathing patterns. They need to be like um, a swimmer, or a, a you know a track and field person, you need to be in a really good breathing pattern. So, uh, but um, you know Johnny was always a big help on that.
0: Well, well, one that I would guess probably didn't have any breathing issues was a wad.
1: <laughs> no, uh, well, wondering you only ran like the last quarter of a mile. <laughs> That'd be great. So Yeah, um, yeah, that. That horse didn't. He was a little Scottish. Other than that, uh, he'd scare some people sometimes. But no, he was uh, he was pretty cool. What
0: uh, the 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 ninety two pilgrim? I,
1: I saw a, uh,
0: a a fun little story about that. You mentioned I think on one of the broadcasts that was your favorite race. What, what was it about that one that uh, that rings so true? Yeah,
1: I I think it you know because it started that horse. On a great career, um, you know he's a horse that got ready in the summer. Um, he was owned uh, by Jim Ryan, Ryhill Farm, and had some partners on him. Um, great people, was a great, great group of guys. And uh, I tell you what, that horse ran on the dirt at Belmont. I ran him for a claiming price first time. I said to Jim, you know there wasn't much turf racing back then, so that's 1992. And uh, there was no, uh, I'm going to tell you, there was no two-year-old turf races in Saratoga in 92. So he ran on the dirt at Belmont. He didn't run any good at all. And he ran back in Saratoga. I don't know if I ran him once or twice. I know one day I ran him seven-eighths of a mile on the dirt. And I don't think Johnny would ever remember this. Go back in the charts. Johnny rode him. And I had another horse in the race called Dr. Elfus for Alan Dragone. And uh, Eddie Maple rode him. And Dr. Elfus won by a bunch that day. And uh, Awad didn't run any good. And I remember that he made a little move on the turn. You know, sometimes a grass horse will do. He was made a, made a move from the half to the quarter and then got beat off. And I remember saying to Johnny, it was really before I knew him very well, he had just lost his bug. That's long before. And I said, you know, uh, I thought that was a good race for the horse. I think he thought I was nuts. So, um, uh, you know, we went back to Belmont and got to run him on the grass for the first time in a maiden race. He was like 30, 35 to one, and he finished third. Ran a ran a big race. I remember my wife coming. I told you he'd run on the grass, and the race was won by Sea Hero and um, uh, the horse that was second was Hallisey, a horse for Belmont, who ended up being a really good nice grass horse. And um, I had to run him once more, and the Pilgrim was coming up, and I'm going to run Dr. Elfus. So in the meantime, I had taken to Canada. Canada ran on the summer stakes, maybe finished fourth, got in some trouble, but he got over the grass well, and I'm going to run him and the Pilgrim. And Jim Ryan said to me, you know, listen, I'd love to run in the Pilgrim, you know, uh, I'm like, Jim, listen, I got this other horse. It's a big field, and I, but I don't have a rider. It eh, doesn't matter. Just I'd love to be in it. He, he loved to roll the dice. And in the meantime, Jim had taken this horse in the spring of the year. He had a Calcutta at his farm and he had five shares in this horse and he couldn't get anyone. He had a golf outing the next day and he was trying to sell shares in this horse. And he's always a wheeler dealer. And he had a deal where he said, okay, it was 15000 for five shares. And he would take $1,000 and 14000 was going to go to Operation Smile to a charity. If the horse doesn't win a stake, I'll give you your money back. So that was the deal. So Jim wanted to run in the Pilgrim. And I said, okay, I will run him in the Pilgrim. And I don't have a rider. And I reached out to snake who is julie crone's agent he goes i don't know i might have one and whatever so i waited they got close to the draw and i named him he didn't have one so now i've got two in the race i've got dr Elfus, and i've got a wad and the story on they did that show is because mr degroman asked me to have lunch with him he was chairman of the board of naira Uh, a phenomenal person he was really really good to me and uh we had lunch and he said, you know, I don't know if I've ever had this conversation before with you, but I'd rather not run and stake with another one of your horses. And that was the kind of way it was back then. Back in the older days, a lot of the guys, they did not like you to have, you know, an entry with another client, uh, have another horse in the race. And, and I like, listen, Alan, you know, this horse, you know, Jim really wanted me to run him. He's a maiden. You know, I don't know if he can get a piece of it, but, you know, he's, you know, he's a long shot in here. They come down the stretch. <laughs> They're running one, two, and I'm watching the race with Alan Dragone, and Jim wasn't there. Jim Ryan wasn't there, and they come down to the wire together, and neck apart, and Awad wins. He beats Dr. Elfus with Julie Crone. Boy, Alan was not happy. Mr. Dragone was not happy at all, and... He had had an overcoat on that day, was nice out. And it turns out he wasn't feeling that well. And he got up and stormed off. And I walk into the winter circle. And, you know, I've got like, I've got 12, 14 horses in the barn. And I just ran one, two, and $100,000 race. And to my whole career, I'm all about numbers. I can count money. And this is a really good day. But I am like, I'm thinking to myself, man, I just blew a client. Um, like getting a beat in a steak race and I'm walking down I'll never forget here comes down the stairs two of his sons Chris and uh, and uh, Chris and Al or Chris and Peter two of them but and they're like wow congrats whatever and I'm like man you better go cool out your dad he is not happy and I went down to the winter circle somewhat depressed and I'm like oh man <laughs> it's like but it, but it was a big day and you know, to run. I broke his maiden in a steak race. I've done that a few times with horses. Uh, to Alan's credit, he called me the next day and apologized. And he said, and about three or four years went by. We were in Saratoga. I'll never forget underneath the trees. And he said to me, I guess that son of a bitch was okay. Wasn't he? <laughs> <Needed Awad. laughs> so, and the reason he was upset, I didn't know till a long time afterwards, he had never won a graded stake in New York and, you know, he got beaten. He did after that, but, you know, and then Awad went on and just, uh, you know, had a great career. Um, you know, I think one thing that turned him around, um, I say this sometimes about horses. One of the things we, talk about it the health of horses is ulcers we we did a stomach scope on him in the summer of his three-year-old year year, and he had some ulcers and we treated him and wow it really turned him more turned him around um he won a stake in maryland he went to arlington won the secretariat and you know the rest was history so but it's a horse that put me on the map um financially business-wise um you know and i i knew it's hard to come across those horses you know he was by caveat out of a that Jim paid, I don't know if the dancer's candy with American Paid 27,000 or 37,000 or something, you know, not, um, a highly bred horse, you know, not meant to be that kind, but, um, he just, he took me to a lot of places. He was just a lot of fun and, you know, and, and that style that sulky Sullivan run that late run, he needed pace. Um, you know, to this day, every year, somebody comes up to me in Saratoga and, you know mentions them so um you know it's just it was very gratifying a lot of great people around him i had some great help uh the groom was javier molina that robbed them most of his career jane turner galloped them they did a phenomenal job but it was just a lot of fun for everyone and it just took us to a lot of places and you know a lot of memories
0: what was his biggest weapon was it his turn was it turn of foot was it stamina what was it his mind what, what would you what would you kind of nail down as his, as his greatest attribute
1: yeah turn of foot you know he needed pace but a turn of foot loved firm ground he won on anything but he loved he loved to hear his feet rattle um, you know and that's what defines grass horses that's what's fun about grass horses i'm sure you know chad's got a zillion of them i'm sure he could say the same thing when you watch one when you run a maiden or a two year old And they show you that turn of foot, it's like, yep, now we have something. And regardless of what his pedigree is, um, uh, you know, Hestonite was that way. There's a bunch of them. Sometimes you get them, and um, I love to see that kick. Um, You know, sometimes I think maybe you're helping them develop it in their career, but, boy, if they show it something to you, um, that's something you're trying to, um, you know, enhance.
0: They, you know, you, you run a lot, um, you know, obviously you're in New York and you, you run a lot of horses in Saratoga. And One of the things when I talk to people that, that run a lot of grass horses at Saratoga is their, their thoughts of the differences between the inner and the outer turf course. And because and, 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 I, I do think that some horses really do like one or the other. Um, what are your thoughts about that? And how do you, you know, incorporate that into your decision making with entering horses?
1: well you know jonathan somewhat you don't have a choice so it's a great question because you know listen it depends you're not sure always when you enter into a race what course they're going to use there are certain distances that they have to be on the inner outer but there are some that are interchangeable so you know you might enter thinking outer course inner intercourse it's also the the biggest piece of it is a setting of the rails. Um, I'm not a big social media guy. Um, I follow a few people on Twitter. I don't follow a lot. I probably muted a lot over the years if they talk too much. Um, I love to follow, um, handicappers. Um, I, and I love to follow international racing. But in following handicappers, you know, in a day's card, you know, whip through my Twitter feed like most people multiple times during a day. Um, but I love to hear what um, everyone has to say, whether it's Andy or David Argona or whoever's following. Um, you know, it could be Nick Tamaro, could it be you, we just whoever. If somebody's posting something, um, you know, you're always trying to be aware of the bias. Um, you know what suits best but listen when you lead a horse over there if you have a horse that has a style that's a style I mean we can't change it up when they're winning on the lead all the time and you come from off the pace there's not much you can do about it you know you're trying to get lucky maybe get a ground saving trip Um, you know the rail is good can you get enough pace Um, and some days you just get lucky you don't win with the best horse because you win with the way the course is playing so you know, we don't – if anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying to you because you're not, tra- you're not able to decide, you know, what horses get where, what courses. It changes during the day. Did it rain overnight? Um, you know, where's the rail setting? What post did you get? Um, so, you know, a lot of it, there's a lot of luck involved. And sometimes there's strategy, but there is strategy. So if you know how it's playing, you're trying to tell – someone you know i don't like to give a lot of instructions i like to tell them we're not riding with walkie talkies here and i don't want one so but that's what's the difference of i love to hear handicappers complain about when because they're right when riders are not paying attention to how a track is playing you know and sometimes they're under instructions but the more a rider rides they become maybe too comfortable and too lax and you need to be aggressive and that's why sometimes you get a lesser rider or a young rider you know they're going to be a little aggressive like let that horse break let him run to the first turn because especially in Saratoga if you take back you are now not third or fourth you are like eighth or ninth and now you're in trouble so um you're not good enough to make it up um you know another point is I always tell riders difference in riding a maiden 40 and a maiden special weight and i'll say it to Ered, jose manny the younger guys that are coming all the time guys don't ride this horse like a good horse if he was a good horse i would have had him in a special weight there's a reason why he's here today so you need to be a little more aggressive um you know you you can't ride him like a good horse
0: (laughs) it's a a great point yeah don't don't ride him like a good horse we we wouldn't be running the 11 all right (laughs) that's uh that's good do you do you you know you say you pay attention to to you know to bias do you find you you don't give a lot of instructions but do you find yourself in the paddock you know telling a, a a manny hey you know let's let's try to stay off the rail here or do you do you treat it more as a conversation hey what do you think about the rail here see what Manny says and just kind of put it in his ear. Which way would you handle what you perceive to be maybe a dead rail?
1: Yeah, I, I'm probably too kind. So it's more of a conversation. Um, a lot of them don't really notice it or believe it. I think sometimes, you know, so, but sometimes you have to instill it to them, you know, or, or maybe you gotta say, okay, listen, this horse wants to be in the clear, so you need to be outside. Or, you know, you've got the right post. We need to save ground here. So, you know, the rail is good or speed is good, you know, keep you know, you you know, you're probably best off to keep your position. Now listen, the horse is gonna have to help you. So, you know, I'm not leading over a lot of them that are four to five and they're gonna put you there. Sometimes they're not push button, you know. Um, sometimes when you step on the gas, it doesn't you know, give you that acceleration you're looking for. And that's why sometimes, you know, clients, especially people on the outside and even clients, oh, I gave the horse a bad ride. He didn't give the horse a bad ride. He didn't have much under the engine. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's got to help him to get there. Just like if he wants to get to a hole, they'll tell you, you know, they'll be, they'll ask him to get there, but he doesn't go fast enough. Somebody else is going to beat him to a punch. And now he checks up a little bit. It makes him look bad, but um, you know sometimes you just don't have the horsepower there
0: so that we, we, we talked a little bit about the the I want to go back to the woody and then I want to go back to the very very beginning of what made you decide this is the career you wanted um what, what are you know if if we're, you know' say we're on a, an elevator we got a it's a long elevator hundred you know 20 floors. and I said well, what made Woody Stevens so great what would your answer be
1: You know, I thought he had a sixth sense of the horse. Um, I had someone the other day do an interview, and then it was, you know, I always said that he ate, breathed, you know, he lived horses. He didn't know much about other sports. He'd follow a little baseball or something. You know, he kind of knew what was going on. But, you know, that that was his life, horses were. And, um, you know, he just, he had done it a long time. I think all of us, the more experienced, I mean, I am so much more confident today than I was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I remember one time my dad had to jack me up when I was 18. He said to me, you know, I didn't, you know, I I love my dad to death, but he was right. He said to me, you know, something about thinking, you know, it all or something, you know, or something and being smart I always said when I turned 28, I realized how dumb I was when I was 18. When I turned 38, I found out how dumb I was when I was 28 And in work, So you never stop learning. And I think that was with Woody. And I was with him late in his career and you're around a lot of good horses, a lot of pedigrees. Um, he just learned a really good feel for it. I thought Bobby Frankel was the same way. Um, you know, you're just, I love to set feed in the afternoon. I love to see how they're doing. Um, I love just to observe, um, you know, the attributes, are they happy? You know, what makes them happy? You know, sometimes you change your mind a few times during the morning, what you're going to do with a horse, um, just the way they act or way the weather is, the way the track is, or where the morning is going or something. So, um, you know, you're just trying to be in tune with everyone. Um, you know, and he loved it. I mean, it, it was, it was uh, a passion that he took with them until the, till his last breath the
0: you know obviously you expressed how important the belmont would be to you um I, I would imagine you know the woody stevens would be a fun race to win as well
1: uh that would be a hoop um i don't know if i'm gonna get a good enough seven eight sprinter <laughs> that's turned into a heck of a race saying that the card was phenomenal the other day the winners were amazing i mean I, I don't know. The sixth grade ones. we might've saw six, you know, we saw five or six champions. I think the three-year-old race, there's a lot of good three-year-olds that are going to go on, um, including the winner the other day. How much do they all improve? But the other races, the horses that have, you know, have raced a bunch and older horses, the phenomenal. So to win the Woody Stevens, you know, wow. That's, uh, I I was thinking about it the other day. It was just, uh, he'd be, He'd be really happy. I said it to Phil, I think, what we were up there Saturday and he Phil um, leaves and I said, would he be really happy that this is a grade one? And uh, because he wouldn't want the name of the Belmont to change because he did train for August Belmont. Um, you know, there's a lot of history with the name Belmont and, uh, you know, in New York. So, um yeah it'd be cool jonathan but eh, boy, i'd be hard-pressed to get a good enough center <laughs> to do that <laughs> so. uh it's, it's, it's a tough race it's, it's always some
0: freaky performance you know from from uh you know byron and what we saw you know um, uh arabian which one was that lion the other day it's 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 but you're right i mean it's it's one of my favorite it's my favorite weekend i mean i don't get me wrong breeders cup is outstanding with the sport championship races but I think outside of that, Belmont Stakes Day, even I mean, I think even almost more so than Travers Day, which I absolutely love. Don't get me wrong, but man, I mean, having the Met Mile and and uh, and, and the Phipps. yeah, I, I
1: think it, yeah, I think it's a great point. I, I think it's because of the time of the year. It's like the coming out for everyone, right? It's they point for those, and then they're pointing for you know, either Saratoga or Del Mar or something, and then the Raiders Cup, right? So, but they're wanting to get to that point. And they've made some of those winner near ends. in. So they're, you know, they're objectives to everyone. Um, yeah, you're right. It's, listen, management in the last 10 years has done a great job with it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a heck of a day. It's a good weekend. You know, all the places are great. Churchill does a great job with it. Um, you know, same with Pimlico. But yeah, it's, um, you know, putting them that mile there. You know, I think people really complained about that initially, but it's really, you know, and that was done by Martin years ago, And but it's really turned out, you know, some articles recently about that, that it's really turned out to be a good move Um you know, the Phipps is there, you got the really good Phillies, um, yeah, just you know, a couple of grass races that were great performances, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I don't usually go all the time, uh, I did, you know, I was had a couple run in and I went over, and Holly went with me, and she enjoys it. You know, and I said, eh, you know, we'll stay for some. If you want to go back, we can. Heck, we stayed the whole day. So it was a lot of fun. The weather was great. The racing was phenomenal. And uh, and it's fun to see, you know, everyone enjoying
0: it. Put you on the spot a little bit, Dave, of the two days of racing, is there a horse that stands out to you that, I mean, look, I, there's a lot of them, right? And there's some obvious answers, but there's also an opportunity for some sneaky answers here. Is there a horse that you – that you wish a van would, is there one you wish a van would, would back up to your barn and and, and let you train for a little
1: while? (laughs) Uh, Boy, I'll tell you that horse of Todd's for Rapoli ran really well in the mat, man. Wow. That horse is an up and comer. You know, the, the sky's the limit for that horse. He could have, that horse could have two or three good years. I'm, I'm fond of good grass horses because that's what's you know, helped me make a career of it. Um, yeah, and I always feel that there's longevity in grass horses. And, you know, they they last longer. But um, that that horse was really intriguing. Listen, all the three-year-olds are, because you hope that they can go on and be good four-year-olds and five-year-olds. That's always what we need. So it'd be it'd be a lot of fun to see those. But yeah, I, I think the horse that Todd was, um, you know, a lot of good horses. Um, but yeah, that horse that Todd's, uh, he's only beginning. You know, he made a big step forward. He did a Churchill. He made another forward move. Um, he's doing it easy. Um, you know, looks. You know, we're not. I think all of us. You, everyone's been critical of the kind of grass horses that we've had in this country the last few years. The Europeans come over and kick our butts. Um, but this horse is looks like he's got a great future.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it feels a little kind of bricks and mortarish. You know, it kind of feels like yeah. he could be that dominant U.S. I, I I said the other day like that you know they're gonna fire up the plane over there if they, if that's the only thing that's gonna beat him in the airplane because I, I don't I don't think there's a a, a a horse in North America that's gonna be uh, up to the mark I mean I thought he was outstanding so he was uh, he's fun I'm excited to see Cody's wish I would imagine he'll run in the Whitney next I, I think that'll be exciting to see that I think he'll be tough to beat there. Um,
1: and, yeah, uh, great. yeah, I agree. Yeah, great, great storyline. Just continues on. Phenomenal, uh, phenomenal what Gidolph has done there. Listen, Bill's got two, the two RC has, elite power and Cody's Wish. You know, just phenomenal. I mean, you know, his issue is he got to make sure he keeps them apart here a little bit. But it'll be cool to stretch Cody's Wish out, yeah, and see. Um, um, you know, it's interesting. Look at his form. We talk about developing horses. You know, he got beat his first three or four now. I looked at it the other day. I forgot. You know, and then you go back and say, I remember, you know, there's some good horses that have done that. Like, how do they get beat in a maiden race? But, you know, it was Bill's that way. He's looking to develop horses. Um, You know, if you're not going to be patient enough, you're not going to be able to train for those people. So, um, yeah, he's done a phenomenal job with those. He's got two really, really good horses.
0: Dave, when it comes to, you know, this is a question I've, I've, I've bugged all my jockey friends about. Um, but what are your thoughts on which, what is more, from a stamina standpoint, do you believe is more taxing? A truly run, like honest pace, one turn mile at Belmont or a two turn mile and an eighth at
1: Saratoga? Saratoga. No question. The mile and eighth in Saratoga is like running a mile and a quarter. It's a, it's a tough race. You better have a pretty good horse. And I don't care what the level is, if it's a maiden or a grade one. Um, I thought it was a big challenge last year when Fingless Cave won the stake. It was a mile and an eighth there. Um, boy, it's a big gut check. Um, if you can get – that's a talk about a true two-turn race, yeah. The mile at Belmont, you can be tactical – uh, you could have good speed and be dangerous. You could be off the pace. Um, you know, look at the map mile the other day, um, but, you know, a good horse can overcome whatever, but, but the two turn race at Saratoga um, has maybe when the, the track has changed a little, it's not, it's good because it's fair. It's not like lightning fast. And, you know, if it gets souped up and the speed horse has a big advantage or something on the rail or something, but, The two-turn race in Saratoga and mile-nate, it's hard to get those races to go because a lot of guys don't run long. They're afraid to do it. Not afraid to do it. The horse isn't ready to do it. They're not developed to do it, whatever, you know, pedigrees. But, um, yeah, that's – at any level, it's a very demanding – I like it, but it's a very demanding race. Is it
0: a surface thing? Is it a configuration thing?
1: Mm, I think surface. The surface is, you know, there. Yeah, so, you know, versus – it's a little different than if – you're on a track that's a flat mile or, you know, maybe even a mile and 16th. It's, um, you know, it's pretty demanding, you know, same with the, the Travers is a pretty, it's a pretty challenging race the Jim Dandy into the Travers. Um, and that's why I think if they ran a little bit more, you're a little bit ready for it. You know, you're trying to do it off of just good works every Saturday and, and maybe it's not enough. They
0: would, back to the beginning, uh, before we get out of here, what 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 hooked you? What made you decide this is the career that you wanted?
1: You know, when I was eight years old, we moved back to my dad's hometown, Clifton Springs, New York. We lived out in the country, County Road 43. And uh, we lived on a little farm, and across the road was another farm. And it was a guy that um, – He was a barber, but he trained horses. His name was Floyd Wright, and he had three sons. And I grew up around them. And that was 68. My dad got into it right away. My dad claimed a horse. Uh, she was a pretty good, pretty good Philly, uh, butcher's bite. She was a Canadian bred. He kept her as a brood mare. He bred a couple of horses. Um, and he really enjoyed it. So he always had a, a runner or two. And so um, you know, I was very attracted to it to the horses and the farm life a little bit and the story goes is that when we were when I was about 14, you know, I'm a lot older than you. so we would meet with our guidance counselor for high school and junior high and eighth grade and set up your classes for your freshman year with no input with your parents. Heck, they didn't know what you were doing, what you're taking in school. It's not like today. You know, everyone's involved and everybody, 10 people are giving you advice and driving our kids nuts. And uh, I had a guidance counselor. His name was Ed Bugliosi. And he he loved the horses, too. And I had three teachers as I grew up in high school that, Or loved the horses. I grew up in a, my town was 15 miles. 15 miles away from Finger Lakes Racetrack. So it was close. And um, I had a math teacher, Pete Webster, who's still alive. And I had uh, another teacher, uh, Pete Herman, who is our basketball coach, um, who ended up coaching David Robinson his senior year at Navy. He ended up leaving and he ended up being a successful college coach. And I stay in touch with him, talking with Pete Herman the other day, all day and during the races. He's always intrigued. but. Ed Bugley, oh, she asked me, I don't know why you would ask any kid this at 14, probably. He said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, yeah. I want to train horses. I had never said that before, Jonathan. I always thought that I would own horses. I was really intrigued by him. I really liked it, and I thought if I grew up, I'd want to own, you know, I'd want to own a racehorse or two. And I went home and discussed one night my dad, and I said something to I met with a guidance counselor and i told him what i said holy crap he was not happy (laughs) he said you better plan on doing something else you'll never make a living doing that well from that moment on i knew what i was going to do i was blinkers on it was a life lesson for me because don't ever tell someone you're a kid or somebody that they can't do something or not and but to his credit he was right, because with all due respect, if I had to stay at Finger Lakes, it was a, it's still it's a tough way to make a living. So I might have still been driving a truck for UPS. But, um, you know, from that moment on, I was going to train horses. And, um, you know, I went through high school, you know, majored in, you know, bookkeeping and sciences or whatever. And, you know, I really enjoyed high school would go to the track on weekends from the time when I was 16. When I turned 16, I said to my dad, you know, I used to ride with him and work with him when I was a kid from the time I was maybe 12 when school was out. And, you know, when I turned 16, I said, dad, I really want to go to the racetrack and work. Um, couldn't work until you couldn't get a badge until you were 16, get a license. And he said, okay. He said, you know, you're not going to make very much money. And I said, yeah, I know, that's okay. And I wasn't worried about that. And, uh, you know, I worked all summer when I was 16, all summer when I was 17. And, um, you know, I, I go back now, if I go back home, you know, I'll have to a class reunion. And some people will say to me, must be not everybody watches the Fox show, but are you still with the horses? <laughs> you know, so obviously I made an impression on people that, You know, that was my passion and what I love to do. And, um, yeah, I I got hooked. It's a bug. It's like all of us. If you get hooked, it's like an owner. I always say people that come to Saratoga, um, if you come to Saratoga, you'll be back. You know, most everyone. So, um, you know, it's a passion. I love what I'm very fortunate. I'm always coaching my kids too much. You know, and I, I tell them, listen, you can't be like me. Nobody is an idiot like me at 14 and knew what they want to do. No kid knows what they want to do. Most college kids don't know what they want to do. But if you find something you like to do, you'll be happy. If you find something you love to do, you got a chance to be successful. And I've just been really blessed. I've been around some really great horses. Um, I've got a phenomenal staff um, over the years um a supportive wife that's the best friend and leaves me alone lets me do what i want to do she can give me advice and i can listen to it or not listen to it um great owners loyal owners everybody everybody's great i mean i'm just really fortunate and i i just try to enjoy it sometimes there's a lot of pressure you put on yourself some days things don't go very well you wonder why the hell am i doing this but um you know uh, it's a passion for all of us and um, the beauty of the sport, and you know, and what we we try to, do. we're all trying to get better. There's a lot of issues in our sport, but you know, I think every day, if you can try to think, what can you do better, and improve yourself, and improve your model, you'll be better for it. Do
0: you pick out horses, or do you you just would you just get what you get from your clients, or do you do a lot of bloodstock work
1: as well? I, I do a little of both. Um, if I own I, now I own pieces of a bunch of horses. If I own a horse, I bought it. I picked it out. Um, I'm, I, for the most part, I, I'm a little bit fussy that way. I like to like the horse. I like to like the yearly. Um, I enjoy doing that, but I don't have the time to do it. I, I have, last 10, 12, 15 years, I used, uh, I don't know, you know Moret Farrell, an Irish girl in Kentucky. Been around a long time. Marat's kind of my bloodstock person, and she can do all the looks and then shortlist for me. I don't have the time to look at many horses, a lot of horses the sales. I don't go to a lot of sales. I go to yearling sales. I'm not a two-year-old style person, but um, I like to buy. I have a group, a whole group of clients um, that we all kind of now partner up on. I think they like, like that. It diversifies what they're doing. It diversifies their portfolio. And then I have a lot of people. I've always trained for a lot of people that are breeders and, um, you know, whatever they send me, I always like to say, if you think it belongs in New York, I'm happy to take it. So, um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, you, you evaluate them and go through and, you know, you try to be honest with everyone, what you have and, and hopefully you can do sometimes they're better off being at another track finger like are somewhere and being a bigger fish in a smaller pond. But, um, yeah, just, you know, whatever, whatever I get, as long as, um, you know, I'm staying busy. So it's a lot of fun and it's a challenge. So it's a challenge to develop a horse that didn't have much pedigree or was inexpensively bought. So if I do anything in life, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Well,
0: then the the last one I'll hit you with here is is a very infamous horse. Uh, that that you trained, where I had uh, I had Travis Stone had told me this this Travis Stone the announcer told me the story as a as just a friend, and then I had him tell it on this podcast once uh, about one of the times he was calling in New York, and it, it there's a horse that led him to get a speech coach, and it was a horse that you trained by the name of I, I have to think three times before I say it, Radiant cup
1: radiant cup yeah yep
0: and it uh if you use your imagination the that horse really uh threw travis for a loop in the middle of one of his calls.
1: a turf filly for bob spiegel uh, <laughs> he now has there's a rosemary. yeah she's um you know she's a pretty useful it's a family that he's had a couple of good horses and a family um to a descendant, and their vision perfect in that family. Yeah. So for Bob, yeah. <laughs> we, we we we
0: speculate that it was intentional.
1: <laughs> I don't think it was because that wouldn't be Bob's style. So okay, okay. We, could, we could pick a few people that would have been, but no. That uh, I, I'll be honest, I don't know how the name came. I'm not big on names. I have this thing that when I was young, my dad named his horses and the first horse he named that he bred was called yellow gold and the reason was is my dad was a cash crop farmer he was a corn cash crop farmer and he named it yellow gold and after that every horse he named had to have gold in it well being me being the dumbass that i was as a kid you know I revolted and I wanted to name a horse, anything that didn't have gold in it. So I never got to name a horse. (laughs) So, um, it's funny if we have to name a horse or even in the family, I just leave it up to Faye or Holly or something and, you know, let them or a client and clients will ask me about names. And I said, listen, I don't care what their name. I have never seen a good horse with a bad name. (laughs) So, um, you know, somehow that name catches on when it's a good horse. Whatever it is, however they named it, however goofy it is or whatnot. So yeah,
0: that is so, true. Yeah, you know the, the the ones that make you laugh when you name them. There's never a good one.
1: Yeah. So, or if you name them after someone, yeah, it's um, it's a tough road to hoe. So it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh,
0: Bob Edwards when he when he named the, the, the nice filly Kinshin. She she uh, ran second first time out. At Saratoga, got a bad trip show one that day, then ran third in a stake as a two-year-old, and she just she never got
1: her picture taken. But she's gonna be a mom now, so that's okay. Yeah, and you know it's funny because it looked like it was a Philly that was really gonna go forward and just you know, yeah, got unlucky, things didn't go her way and <laughs> whatever. I know. But, yeah, I know. but um, it's it's a challenge, it's a lot of fun. Um, it gets a lot of people involved. Yeah, a lot a lot of great people in the industry. Uh, a lot of great people on the backside, a lot of work that's always great. You know, uh, the chaplaincy stuff on the backside, you know. Um, uh, listen, there's no more fun event than the basketball game in Saratoga where the jocks and the trainers, uh, things like that. Uh, a lot of great owners. Um, I, I have a lot of great owners for myself. So, um, and listen, we all look forward to getting Saratoga. Dave, this was a, a blast. I, I had
0: so much fun. I learned a lot. It was, uh, it was a ton of fun. People are going to, uh, are going to love this episode. Thank you so much for taking the time. I got a lot going on and uh, we will see you here in a, in a couple of weeks. When you can start saying it a couple of weeks. It, uh, it's, you know, you're right around the corner.
1: It goes fast. Yep. So, and listen, uh, most importantly, congratulations to you. Um, and uh, like I said the other day, the the pictures, you know, life's about your family. Um, I'm blessed to have mine. Two phenomenal kids. Uh, I saw the pictures the other day of your son and your brother and, you know, with the family over there. So, listen, uh, life is onward and upward. And, uh, you know, we're, we're lucky to go to places like Saratoga. We're lucky to do this. Uh, but, um, yeah, we'll see you soon. Thanks so much, Dave. Thanks, buddy. Look,
0: don't get me wrong, like I I I love all of these episodes that I do. You know, I get to learn a lot more about people and 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 get some more behind the scenes stuff. But selfishly, when I have the trainers on or the jockeys on and I get to ask selfish handicapping questions to help better understand uh, this game we all love from a handicapping and a trainer decision standpoint, I enjoy those a lot. And Dave I learned a lot in this episode and I hope you did as well. Uh, once again, want to give a congratulations to Caravelle and our friends at Qatar Racing. She was outstanding in the grade one Jiper going six furlongs against what I think is, I was going to say, possibly one of the best, if not the best, um, male turf sprinter in Big Invasion. I think he ran his race. She held him off. Um, Casa Creed, probably didn't fire his best, but she beat the boys, grade one, six furlongs, Belmont, man, she is, uh, she is something else, and uh, congratulations, and thank you to our friends at Qatar Racing, I want to thank everyone for supporting the show, remember, uh, continue to, to share, like, retweet, comment, uh, when you comment, people see it, when you retweet, people see it, and we get more people listening uh, to the episodes, make sure you subscribe, uh, obviously, this this gets put on our main feed for in the money, but there's also a separate JK Plus One feed. So make sure you're subscribed there as well, um, and you know, and, and YouTube will be on also. Keep in mind, just as a, a little bit of a preview, my goal is to get four, five video podcasts this summer from Saratoga. I've already got the studio set up. So I think we'll be able to do some more video ones like the Angel Cordero. If you hadn't seen the Angel Cordero, what are you doing? Go back, watch that on YouTube. But um, I I think we'll have a lot of opportunities this summer to get some video ones. And then we're going to keep rolling with audio. I was off for a couple weeks for the wedding, but I'm back now. Probably won't miss a week until, I might miss one week in Saratoga. Sometimes it gets a little bit tricky. But outside of that, we'll be rolling all the way through the year. Thanks so much for the support. Uh, thank you to all the people involved in the money media, PTF drew the rest of the team. And, uh, like I said, make sure you share, make sure you comment, make sure you listen. We'll see you next week. I need to know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. Trust me. I hear what you're saying, but I like to know What you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche. Five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk. So I'm letting them talk.